Ahead on Charlotte Sports Live, Miles Bridges is coming back to Charlotte, but there's a good chance he won't be staying around for long. Details on the short-term deal he allegedly signed today. And it's an international affair at Bank of America Stadium. Team USA center stage in CONCACAF action against Trinidad and Tobago. Welcome inside Charlotte Sports Live. He is Mike Lissette. I am Carla Gebhardt. And as if those two big headlines were not, well, big enough, we were racing in the streets of Chicago earlier today. I can't believe we're actually saying it, but they did get the race in. And that's probably the most important thing of that, uh, that story. It was close and it was exciting and a first time winner today but that's, right. that's all well and good <laughs> nba free agency on my mind and that is what we're going to start with two days since beginning of uh, free agent signing period the hornets finally came to terms with miles bridges however it's not the long-term deal they were probably hoping for instead espn is reporting bridges signed a one-year qualifying offer for 7.9 million dollars that means next summer, the 6'7 forward at a Michigan State will be an unrestricted free agent and is free to go anywhere he wants. Here's another thing. The deal apparently gives Bridges veto power in the event Charlotte wants to make a trade. I should mention, Bridges won't be available for Charlotte at the start of this year. He'll serve the final 10 games of a 30-game suspension after pleading no contest to domestic battery charges last November. Of course, his deal will not become official until July 6th when the signing period opens up. Now, it has been a minute since Bridges last played a game in the NBA. He set out all of last season following the incident with his wife. For his career, he's averaging 13 points and five boards a game in four seasons. However, his stats are trending upward as he posted highs with 20 points and seven boards in the 2021-2022 season. That's right, and with Bridges' future with the Hornets in question, that then really begs the question if Charlotte will now try to lock down Kelly Oubre to a long-term deal. That was something that didn't really seem likely when the free agent negotiation period got underway this week. But just like Bridges, Oubre is a restricted free agent, meaning Charlotte has the right to match any offer that comes his way. The 6'6 forward scored 20 points a game last year, a full eight points better than his career average. And so, yeah, I, this is really not exactly what we expected for the Hornets. Some decisions going to have to be made. But what do you think they do or what should they do with this? Well, it is interesting because on the surface, it looks like Bridges wants out eventually. On the other hand, he did tweet looking forward to coming back and, right. and being with the guys. So, And he has been active on social media applauding some of the moves they've made especially with LaMelo Ball. So there's the theory that maybe he wants to leave. On the other hand, there's mm -hmm. the theory that he's looking to prove himself again. He wants to get paid, and maybe if he comes back next season as a great year, then he puts himself in position for a big payday, which maybe that's something Charlotte did not want to give him this time around. And I think that's fair, right? I think fans would certainly look at this and think that, that that's certainly an okay thing to do on, on how to proceed with this, let him prove himself first, both on and off the court. I think that's a, a big question that, that fans want to know. But then you got Kelly Oubre, too. And, and I'm kind of excited to maybe see that what they would do with him if the Hornets bring him back. And, yeah, I, I like him on the team. Well, on the one hand, his stats didn't prove this year. Right. And, but on the other hand, you know, from what I've heard around the league, probably didn't have the best work ethic sometimes in practice. He needs a little more maturity. So I think if they do bring him back, I think, and they, and they do sound to a big deal, I think they probably want to see a little more maturity from him this year. 
uh, going forward. I, I, again, if I'm, if I'm the Hornets, I'm probably a little bit frustrated because I think they did stick by Bridges right. throughout the year. They continued to check in with him. And now to see that there's just not the loyalty that maybe they expected, that's got to be frustrating. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to see, I guess. Yeah. Well, as far as bringing in anyone new, the Hornets still have yet to make that happen this summer. But even with a lot of marquee names now off the table, there are some good players still out there. These are diamonds in the rough, and Charlotte does have a history of finding them. Even though the Hornets are around $40 million under the salary cap, history, as well as general manager Mitch Kupchak tell us, they're not likely to use it to lure away any big names to the Queen City. Although we have a lot of financial flexibility, you know, we don't typically go big game hunting with our free agent money. Unfortunately, he's right. In the past, the Hornets have relied on the draft and developmental to rebuild their teams. However, every once in a while, they have managed to secure a difference maker. The first big get was Johnny Newman in 1990. Charlotte was in its third year when the team got Newman to leave New York. In his first year with the club, the 6'7 forward posted a career-best 17 points a game. And while he eventually became a role player, he did help Charlotte reach the playoffs for the first time in 1993. By the late 1990s, the Hornets of LJ and Zoe were no more, and most of the team is rebuilt through trades. However, they did pick up David Wesley from Boston via free agency. From 1997 all the way to their move to New Orleans in 2002, Wesley was Charlotte's starting point guard. Averaging 14 points a game, he helped the team make the playoffs in four of his five years in the Queen City, including three trips to the Eastern Conference semifinals. Wesley leans in for two. While one could make the argument that Wesley was the Hornets' most impactful free agent signing, many would tell you that the team's most shocking addition was Al Jefferson. Jefferson scores. When the 6'10 big man joined the Bobcats in 2013, the team was just two years removed from going 7-59. and 59. Again, they worked the ball to Jefferson. But with Jefferson, by then a nine-year veteran, Charlotte became a force. In his first season with the club, Big Al scored 20 a game as the team reached the playoffs for the first time in three years. Granted, they're not household names. However, each player made their mark on the franchise, giving hope that another diamond in the rough might be out there this summer for the Hornets. Love that. Back to the present-day Hornets, though. Here's one guy that could play a big part in their future. It's Nick Smith, Jr., and today the Hornets did make it official with their rookie, signing him to a new contract per team policy. Terms of the deal were not discussed. Smith was taken 27th in this past draft. The 6'5 guard averaged 12 points in an injury-filled first and only season at Arkansas. Meanwhile, how fitting that only two days from the 4th of July, we had the U.S. soccer team in town for the CONCACAF Gold Cup. A great atmosphere at the bank. And, of course, that's where we start. The U.S. taking on Trinidad and Tobago in their final match of the group play. And they needed at least a tie to advance to the round of the Sweet 16. We're going to pick it up in the 14th minute, though. And U.S. going to be attacking with no score. They get it in the middle of the box to Jesus Ferreira. And Ferreira does the rest. He's been hot coming off the hat trick against St. Kitts and Nevis. 1-0 USA. That was looking pretty good, Mike. I love it. Good atmosphere. People are pumped. However, Ferreira not done there. Not even near done. 38th minute. Watch him how he gets it done. Tons of effort. First shot block, but he never gave up on the play. And that is gold number two for him. Still in the first half. U.S. not letting up. Down in the box. We have a, a penalty. And 
You know what that means, Mike? We're getting the PK. I love a good PK. And now we're getting another goal from Ferreira. He's now the first player in U.S. men's national team history with hat tricks and back-to-back -back games. Team USA would go on to win 6-0 tonight, a dominant performance. And Gabe McDonald has more on the victory. Well, guys, I can't think of a more perfect time for the U.S. men's national team to make its first ever appearance in the Queen City. That alone gave us a piece of history before the match was even kicked off. But once things got going here at Bank of America Stadium, we saw even more history. The Stars and Stripes wasted little time getting points on the board, and the crowd was into this match for the entire 90 minutes. Charlotte has grown into a soccer city with the emergence of Charlotte FC over the past couple of years. The electric atmosphere from the crowd of over 40,000 is something U.S. head coach B.J. Callahan was certainly appreciative of. What a welcome, I would say, for us. Right when we walked out of the tunnel, you could feel uh you could feel the energy from the crowd. And, you know, for us, it, the result was 6-0, but the crowd was into it the entire time. And, and that's what you really, you, you know, you know that that group is an educated fan base and uh, really supporting and behind us through the whole 90 minutes, and, and we felt it. And given the location of tonight's match, it was rather fitting for John Luca Busio to make history as well. The Greensboro native back in his home state and helping the cause by scoring his first career international goal in the second half. Callahan proud of his young forward for stepping up in a major way in tonight's match. I'm super proud of John Luca. You know, obviously it's great that it, being the Greensboro native that he does it here, but he was able to do 45 minutes uh, the game prior and now to be able to put a 90-minute performance in. And really the goal is, a, I would say, an icing on the cake for his overall performance and the way that he was able to help run our midfield. So with yet another shutout victory, the U.S. wins Group A and heads to the knockout round in the 2023 Gold Cup. Their quarterfinal matchup set for next Sunday up in Cincinnati. For now, reporting at Bank of America Stadium, Gabe McDonald, Charlotte Sports Live. Thank you, Gabe. A brand new NASCAR race is won by a brand new driver. We'll show you how it all went down on the streets of Chicago. And the All-Star break is almost here, and the Braves are sitting pretty atop of the National League. But halfway through the season, are they the pick to win it all? We're going to discuss that later in Quick 6. And we've already talked about the best free agent signings in the Hornets history, but what about the worst? Uh, there have been quite a few. You're watching Charlotte Sports Live. Now, Chicago is known as the Windy City, but this weekend it's been known as the Rainy City. The Xfinity race got 25 laps in yesterday before getting postponed to today. And still, the rain did not cooperate in an unprecedented moment in the sport. NASCAR decided to call the race two laps before it was halfway over, which means that guy right there, Cole Custer, won the inaugural loop 121. It's also important to know that Custer was also the pole winner. Now. Where would that lead the NASCAR Cup Series race in one of the most anticipated events in recent history? Well, I'm not a meteorologist, but I would have to say this is what they were working with earlier today. And we're talking rain up to these guys' ankles on the track. But the rain did eventually stop, and they did go racing. And I'm not even really sure where to start with this race, uh, but here we go. Denny Hamlin, your pole winner, leads the field to green in very wet conditions. Mike, I got to say, though, got to admit the course did look pretty cool on the streets of Chicago. I loved it. I love when they did low-angle shots and you see the buildings. I also yeah. love But again, too. yeah, very <laughs> slippery conditions. Kyle Busch goes into the tire barriers. That looks pretty cool in slow motion, but uh, probably not in real no. life. He was able to return racing, though. This is the big battle, though, that we thought would maybe last most of the race. Tyler Reddick and Christopher Bell going for the lead. And Bell from JGR able to take control right here. Just nine laps in, and he's going to hang on to take stage one. You see him get all ten points there. 
This was the big turning point in the race, though. On lap 47, NASCAR decides to shorten the race from 100 laps to 75 due to the sun going down. Streetlights not bright enough to keep this one going. But that changes the strategy of so many drivers. You've got guys that have already pitted. And so it really flips the field. And again, it changes the strategy for these drivers. So the top three are Justin oh Haley, Austin Dillon, Chase gracious. Elliott. But yeah, this is a big pile car, uh, car pile up like on lap 49. Right it here. is. Uh, this is exactly what Chicago normally looks like, right? <laughs> um, back to the action, though, and close to the end. Top three are now Haley, Shane Van Gis Gisbergen, and Chase Elliott. Van Gisbergen, the Project 91 driver, races supercars. He's an actually a three-time Cup or Series champion of that series, and he's not too bad at this either. He passes Justin Haley. And yes, Mike, he becomes the first driver in modern era to win their very first Cup Series race. It was a moment for everyone involved. Of course not, but you always dream of it. And thank you so much to the Trackhouse team and Hans Health Project 91. Man, what an experience in the crowd out here. Like, this was so cool. And it's, it's what you dream of. So hopefully I can come and do more. Had some full sands on some people and everyone was, the racing was really good. Everyone was respectful and it was tough, but a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. There was a lot to digest, I think, by the time this race actually went green and they got on the, the racetrack. So much rain. It did eventually dry. Um, made for slippery conditions. Several cautions in this one. But it was entertaining. Did you? I know you talked about how rain was up to ankles. Did right. you see the video <laughs> of the tire yes, floating away? I mean, floating it was floating down the street, yeah. <laughs> it was great. I mean, this could have been bad if they didn't get this event in but there was a backup plan right i think so i think they were a they were going to be able to race on monday and i think maybe some of the drivers would have liked that because it wouldn't have been wet conditions to start the race you think of a denny hamlin who won the pole going into this race he probably would have liked to have gotten a little bit better shot um, at this one and the van Gism gisbergen the rain really kind of played into his strategy and what he's used to as well. Obviously, uh, it's exciting whenever a first-time driver wins, mm -hmm. but seeing as how this race is sort of the wild card race, does it sort of take away from the legitimacy of, hey, it's the new kid in town? Uh, I don't think so, and, and the reason I say that is because I think there were a, NASCAR is trying to appeal to a big audience, right? Mm -hmm. And they did that with the Chicago Street Course, but then you have a first-time winner like this guy who raced in super cars, and he had a lot of guys and and people watching him and so you get new viewership into nascar so maybe those people that were watching him for this race maybe they'll tune in again next time all right so a big moment for that first timer also a big moment for a guy that well, he's won before yes. but it's been a while ricky fowler 1610 days since his last win on the tour that streak finally ends after that birdie putt as he went on to win the rocket mortgage classic in a playoff a gigantic exhale as he secures his first win since Super Bowl Sunday of 2019. Well, as of this morning, the Hornets and Jazz were the only teams in the league who had yet to sign a new player to their team. Of course, no deals might be better than a bad deal, and the Hornets have certainly had plenty of those in their history. Though the Hornets have achieved success from time to time through free agency, the reality is there have been a lot more misses than hits. Goes up and under. From has-beens like Lance Stevenson and Tony Parker. Big shot for the 36-year-old. To guys that never seem to pan out, such as Tyrus Thomas and Marvin Williams, the Hornets have developed a reputation around the league for making bad deals and wasting a lot of money. Ironically, you could make the argument that two of their worst deals are still active. 
Remember when the team didn't want to offer top dollar to Kemba Walker? I'm sure you'd like to forget, but the guy they decided to pay instead was Terry Rozier. Through a sign-and-trade, the team ended up giving a Louisville guard a three-year deal worth $57 million. Later, he was given a four-year $96 million extension, which has paid off in a lot of empty points and zero playoff wins. What was that? Of course, not all the Hornets' recent problems are solely on Rozier. They also have Gordon Hayward to thank as well. Though Rozier doesn't always play well, at least he plays. Which is more than you can say a lot of the time for Hayward, who has struggled with injuries throughout most of his career. This past season, he scored 15 points a night. However, injuries limited him to just 50 games, which unfortunately is the most he's played in during his three years in Charlotte. But the undisputed king of the worst deals in Hornet history has to be when they signed Nicholas Batum in 2016. Charlotte was initially all in on the 6'8 forward after they traded for him the previous season. While Batum started his five-year, $120 million contract in a high note, scoring 15 points a game, it got bumped and still hit. his later seasons with the franchise were largely forgettable as well as regrettable, as he managed to play in only 22 games during his final year with the squad. There were plenty of other head-scratchers in the 35-year history of the franchise, but we'll spare you on those details. Bottom line, it's a new summer, and now with new management in the building, the Hornets are finally hoping to hit the jackpot in the open market. And so far they haven't, but you know what? <laughs> There's still a chance, right? Still a chance. Braves, meanwhile, back in action, trying to defend their dominance in the NL East. Highlights from Atlanta are on deck. And we know there's really only one uh. main food group on the 4th of July weekend. Do you know what it is? Hot dogs. That's right. And we also got eating contests and so much more to discuss in Quick 6. That's coming up when CSL returns. The Atlanta Braves have been on an absolute tear, winning their last seven games, 15 of their last 16, and today they had a chance to sweep the Miami Marlins for the second time this season. Game one, they put up 16 runs. Game two, seven. So what about today's matinee? Well, Marlins up two already when we start in the second inning and up walks Orlando Arcia, and there it goes for a solo home run to get his seventh of the season. Braves still down, though, but the very next bat, they're not. Ozzie Alves lifts another one. This one's over the wall, and that goes around for a two-run home run, and the Braves are back in control in a hurry. Seventh inning now, Braves up 4-3, two on, two out. A.J. Minner looking to escape the jam, and he gets Jorge Soler to strike out to end the inning. Eighth inning, Braves still up one. Travis DeArno powers one the other way for the two-run shot. And yeah, that's going to do it. Braves sweep the Marlins with a 6-3 win and get their eighth straight win in eight days, and I call that dominance. Well, the Knights are in Norfolk for game two of a three-game series against the Tide after getting the win 3-2 last night. The Tide overcame the Knights, getting a dominant win 15-3. Victor Reyes and Yolbert Sanchez were bright spots for Charlotte at the plate. Reyes was 3-4 for four with three RBIs. And Sanchez was 500 on the day. The Knights have a chance to take the series tomorrow. First pitch for that game is at 635. All right, it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Quick Six. And, Mike, I got to get your opinion, but I think Andrew Brightman is the real Slim Shady because he's back. <laughs> 
back again, right? I know, I'm going to tell a friend. Trick. I'm going to tell a friend. Yeah. Uh, yes, please do tell all your friends. Uh, guys, are you ready for this? Yes. All right, let's put I'm two ready. minutes on the clock. And, Mike, you actually get the first question tonight. What should be the next move for the Hornets in free agency? Well, with Miles Bridges appearing to be a short-term deal, you got to lock up Kelly Oubre. He did a good job last year scoring 20 points a game, which, by the way, equaled Miles Bridges the last season that he played in 2022. I like the pick. All right, Andrew, after seeing the atmosphere at the Gold Cup tonight, should Charlotte have been in the running to host a World Cup match? No, absolutely, Carla. It's been incredible again. As a guy who has not exactly been the biggest you know, person into soccer. It really blows me away. We've seen the passion for Char Charlotte FC and then opening up the upper bowl. Just a huge turnout that we've seen so far for the Gold Cup match. I have to agree with that. All right, Mike, will LaMelo Ball make an all-NBA team next season to get to get to reach all of his incentives? I don't think so. I think down the line he probably could. I think he's a great player. I think the key for him is to stay healthy, but I think there's a lot of competition in that position. All right, Andrew, we're close to the MLB All-Star break. Who is your favorite to win it all this season? All right, I know the Braves might be the sexy pick, but I'm heading a little bit farther oh, south to the Tampa Bay Rays. They've got Shane McClanahan, Zach Eflin, oh. Eflin two of the front Zach runners Efron? for the yeah, it's two of the front runners for the Cy Young <laughs> Award. The sad thing is, there's more people that come out to the Char uh, to the Queen City News softball game Ooh. than, unfortunately, the Tampa Bay Rays. You're always a promoter of the Queen City News softball gotta, team. Gotta I give like love it. to my team. The branding is out there, guys. All right, Mike, what is the best brand of hot dogs? Easily Nathan's hot dogs, <laughs> but it's got to be cooked on the right way on the fryer. The stuff you get at a gas station, it's they're Nathan's, but they don't cook them the right way. Okay. When they're cooked the right way, they have a certain crunch to them. Which sounds weird, but when I think hot dog, I don't think crunch. <laughs> no, there's, yes. a, there's a snap. It's like a snap to it. Okay. That's a good hot dog right there. All right, Andrew, with the Nathan's hot, Nathan's hot dog contest coming up on the fourth, how many could you eat in ten minutes? That is a great question. In fact, back when I was in high school, me and my friends we went out outside of a 7-Eleven. I took one hot dog, I ate it in 38 seconds. I won the contest with my friends, so I say I could probably do maybe about 10 or 12 in 10 minutes. Oh, was that uh, a lot of hot dogs. with bun in water? Or no water. Right. No water. And it, trust me, it's never the hot dog. It's always the bun that's the most difficult part. Would agree with that. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> Well, this seems like the quiet time of year for sports with free agency, but the Hurricanes and the Hornets are both making some noise. We're going to catch you up next with our weekend review. Plus, LaMelo Ball gets paid, but wasn't for good reason. We look back at his career since he was drafted by the Charlotte Hornets, and we're going to let you decide that. That's coming up right here on Charlotte Sports Live. Well, Carl, I tell you, for a time of year that is supposed to be quiet, yes. this week brought us plenty of sports stories here in the Queen City. Yeah, obviously a lot involving the Hornets, but there was also activity from the folks who call Mint Street home. And yes, we're talking about the Carolina Panthers. On Friday, they announced they're signing veteran defensive tackle Taylor Stallworth to a one-year deal. The former Gamecock was spent, or has spent time with the Saints, the Colts, the Chiefs, and most recently the Texans. The move did have to make a corresponding move, though, to get the roster back to 90. The Panthers decided to waive Charlotte native and former Tar Heel safety Miles Dorn, who signed a reserve contract back in January. The Hurricanes also completed several free agent deals over the last 36 hours. They're bringing back two of their goalkeepers, as well as adding the best defenseman on the market. That's who we'll talk about first. Dimitri Orlov comes to the team after splitting last year with Washington and Boston. The 31-year-old reportedly is getting a two-year contract for $7.75 million. 
Meanwhile, the Canes also resigned Frederick Anderson to a two-year $6.8 million deal. The 33-year-old went 21-11-1 this past year in Carolina. He split time with Auntie Ronta, who is also sticking around for another year as he signed a $1.5 million deal. Ronta went 19-3-3 this past season. He is happy to run it back in Raleigh. Obviously, you know, being part of this team for two years now and, and seeing how close we we got this year. Uh, that's something what do you what do you hope to be a part of? Obviously, I felt good this year. Uh, you know, I, I think I played pretty well, but uh, there's still there's still something what I feel like I can be I can be better. And that's the right attitude that Kane's front office, meanwhile, staying busy this week and also coming to terms with Swedish winger Jesper Fast on a two-year contract extension worth $4.8 million. The deal also includes a no-trade clause. Fast tallied 29 points last season for Carolina and added nine more points in 15 games during the Stanley Cup playoffs. And with Miles Bridges reportedly signing a one-year deal with the Hornets today, it's looking like his days are numbered in the Queen City. However, the same cannot be said for LaMelo Ball, who signed a five-year extension with the team just yesterday, worth up to $260 million with incentives. There's no question that he can ball, but staying healthy, well, that's another story. Based on his basketball-heavy upbringing, LaMelo Ball had plenty of confidence when he joined the Hornets after the team took him with a third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft. I mean, I've been all over the world. All the spots I went to, I feel like I went there and learned something, so I feel like it helped a lot. Ball was just 18 entering his first year in the league, but you wouldn't have known it based on how he played. Leaves it for Cody. Beautiful dime! He averaged 15 points a game, and after helping Charlotte to the first of two straight playing games, he was named the Rookie of the Year. LaMelo, what a pass by Bridges! It's probably something I'm never going to forget. So, yeah, definitely was a nice big moment. Well, he took a fall here in the second quarter. But Melo's first season in the NBA also saw him experience the first of a pair of significant injuries that have placed his durability in question. That season, a fractured wrist kept him out of the lineup for 21 games. Two years later, injuries to both ankles including a fracture to his right one, would force him out of action for 46 games. Pretty much just take it as learning lessons. Can't really get too down on yourself. That's the right attitude, because when Melo plays healthy and with confidence, he is tough to stop. Look at the swift move across. Oh. In 2022, he made his first NBA All-Star game. And while he didn't make it back this past year, he did post career numbers with 23 points and eight assists. Pretty much we just all locking in, you know, bringing a lot of energy. It was pretty much just fun out there playing basketball, like I said. But there is something glaring missing from Melo's resume. He has never made the playoffs. He knows he has plenty of doubters, and he understands the only way to shut them down is to finally do it. I mean, they've been talking about it since I've been here, since definitely a lot since Cliff got here. I'm pretty much just focused on making it. Time is now on his side, as he's got another five years here in the Queen City to make it happen. All right, sticking around. Meanwhile, coming up, the newest member of Charlotte FC isn't just a great soccer player. Find out his other talent next on CSL. I'll tell you, you never know who is going to show up at the Queen City Pro-Am. So far, we've seen former Hornet Montrez Harrell and two-time NBA champ Super Mario Chalmers hit the floor. Yesterday, it was one of our own North Next Star and Duke commit Isaiah Evans playing apparently a spur-of-the-moment decision, but he feels the importance of taking part in events like this 
in order to grow basketball in the community. It means a lot, you know, it means a lot. Just because I know I'm, I got a short time here left, so I want to get back as much as possible. I didn't really plan on playing when I came, but you know, when you're a hooper, you just can't resist. So I think it's important just because I think it's a narrative that guys, when they blow up, they don't really like to stay in the city long or not really make an appearance, so I think it's important. I get it. The event runs through August. If you're looking to check out the action, games run Tuesdays and Thursdays around 6 at night and Saturdays starting at 2 at Curry Court in Uptown. Love that. Now, Scott Arfield is the newest addition in an attempt to strengthen the crown after a tough stretch. But last week, Mike got to sit down and get to know Charlotte FC's new midfielder. And so let's take a listen now. Scott Arfield, I'm sure many people have said welcome to Charlotte, welcome to the United States, so I'll add my name into that ring. Welcome to Charlotte. How are you doing, man? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. I've been here for two and a half weeks now, and yeah, I'm loving the city, I'm loving the culture, I'm loving the, the difference. I'm loving the heat to a certain extent, of course, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying life here and I just cannot wait to get my to play my first soccer match. I'm sure people can tell he did not grow up in Brooklyn. You're, you're from Scotland. Uh, I want to know, I always, when people come to the States, what's something about our culture that's like, well, this is different. It, it takes some time getting used to for you. Um, the word soccer, straight away. Uh, cleats, that's another one. The terminology is a lot different. Um, well, but what about out in the world? What about out in the, out world? In the world? Well, listen, people from the UK are fascinated by America. They're fascinated by the different cultures, this, the size of the country. So everybody comes here on vacation anyway. So I've known this since I started playing for Canada that, you know, the, the, there's different places and there's different, um, different cultures within one big country. So it's fascinating and um, it was a country that always wanted to explore playing soccer. So I'm so thankful to be here. I read an interview where you said this was something that you felt in your career you had to do. You had to play in the States. You had to play in the MLS. Why was this important for you to come here and be in this league? Well, it was round about the same time where I, where I started representing Canada, around about 24, 20, 25 years, uh, years of age, where predominantly all my teammates at that time when I first went into the, the Federation was MLS-based. I mean, now they've kind of grown into Europe and they're playing everywhere within Europe. But at that time, there was a core MLS um, player group. And every time I spoke to them, it just sort of re-emphasised how much I wanted to do it. And then as you get older, you sort of think that that opportunity is going to, um, it's going to miss you or pass you by. Before I went to Rangers, when I was at Burnley, I was close to a couple of MLS teams, but the lure of the size of Rangers and um, the size of that football club is, I, I had to go back home and I had to play for that football club. And, you know, I had an amazing five years there. Very um, privileged to, to have represented that football club over 250 games. Um, but then after that, I was always wanting to somehow get here. Why was Charlotte FC the perfect match for you? Well, there was a lot of conversations um, regarding the last sort of two months. Um, Ashley Westwood being one for, for my sort of connection with Ashley. I played, him in, played with him in England. Um, and then spoke to the GM, Zoran, spoke to the manager a few times here. And it was a perfect fit. The structure, the, the sort of system that he wanted to play. I felt as if for me it was going to be perfect. Well, you're having a chance to really get to know your team and scout them, and, and you join them right now at a tough time. Three straight ties before that, two straight losses. So it's been a while since they've won a game, since you guys have won a game. What are some of your impressions right now of, of the team and how you can help them? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is just, just, just need to score. You know, in any, in any, any game is decided by goals. You need to um, be the best in both boxes. 
So I've seen that. It was my first game that I've, I've actually watched here at this stadium on Saturday um, against Montreal. And, you know, if you score at the right times, that game is, is comfortable. I think uh, everybody watching the game, you know, Charlotte would be our team. Now let's get to the main event of this interview. There's a video of you floating online, uh, singing at your best friend's wedding. Where'd you learn to sing like that? It's amazing, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I was in a band when I was 18, 19. It was my brother and my best friend's band, and they're called the Begbies after a, a famous Scottish film called Trainspotting. And I had an ultimatum to make when I was playing soccer in Scotland. You was this was you were either going to go music or soccer. This, exactly that. Yeah. And I was 18, 19, and I went back to my brother thinking that he was going to see music, and he gave me a kick up the backside and says you need to choose soccer. So I did choose soccer. Thankfully, it worked out. The band then went on and progressed and supported, um, you know, like Lewis Capaldi, The View, and other Scottish Scottish bands. And the Central Belt of Scotland is quite, you know, it's quite famous for for music. It's football music, and that's all you've got. So I got to England, learned the guitar. At this time, I was about twenty, um, and then started writing more music. At twenty, I've got a couple of songs now that that I feel are good enough, and I play them all my mates and musicians, and I play them. We have jams and stuff like that. So anyway, my best friend who was getting married that day. Because we can't go to soccer matches together because I'm playing and he's watching me, we can't have that sort of connection. I thought it was going to be fitting to write a, a song about our relationship from 10 years of age right up to, well, two months ago. And you wrote it, you said, about 20 minutes? 20 minutes. I wrote it in 20 minutes, but I practiced it over about three or four months. So, <laughs> By that time, I was, uh, I was under the influence of alcohol, but it was still... Uh, <laughs> if you don't see him at Bank of America Stadium this summer, maybe you'll find him at a karaoke bar oh, you've at some find, point. Oh, you've certainly yeah. <laughs> you, you'll be with me. <laughs> it sounds good, man. Thank you very much. You Pleasure too, to you. Thank you, mate. I have no doubt that you will be with him oh, yeah. at a karaoke bar. That would be funny. All right, Charlotte teams seem to have an affinity toward Alabama alums. I mean, you got Bryce Young, Brennan Miller being the top picks in the Queen City. Up next, though, we're going to hear from Chris Brees of CBS 42 in Birmingham with more on two of Bama's best. I don't know if you know this, but going from Tuscaloosa to Charlotte seems to be a trend here with both Bryce Young and Brandon Miller coming from Alabama. To get more on Charlotte's Bama boys, Gabe McDonald spoke with a man who knows them quite well, CBS 42 Sports Director Chris Brees down in Birmingham. Well, both the Panthers and Hornets turning Charlotte into Tuscaloosa East recently by drafting Alabama Crimson Tide stars Bryce Young and Brandon Miller. And our guest tonight is someone who's covered both of them. we got CBS 42 Sports Director Chris Brees from our next star sister station in Birmingham in the building. Chris, how you doing, man? Gabe, I'm doing well. Two former Alabama players, so I technically don't cover them anymore. So I'll try my best to answer your questions, I guess. For sure, you had the front row seat up to them uh, during their careers. But we're going to start with Brandon Miller first. He was drafted just a week ago by the Hornets. Did Charlotte make the right choice with that number two overall pick last week? You know what? It's hard to say because when you have the kind of career that Miller did at Alabama, you know, you could say he was a product of his environment. But certainly you look at his roster around him, and, and I don't know what Alabama had that would complement Brandon Miller to his game. And that's a good thing. If you're Charlotte, it means that you pick the guy who can make everybody else around him better. And that is absolutely what Brandon Miller did, because you think about when they did not have him in the lineup, they struggled. And when they did, they were absolutely on. And Brandon Miller, however he went, this Alabama team went, Gabe. So the fact that he was able to 
a lot of the times put the entire team on his shoulders. I mean, he had games where he scored 40, 35 points and literally willed his team to victory. That's exactly what you want to see. He can take the ball. He can score. He can also make everybody else around him better. And if you're Charlotte, what more can you want? And you mentioned some of the special things that he does as a facilitator. When you look at, you know, his game into more detail, obviously shooting nearly 40% from deep, 18 points per game last year. What are some other things that you notice in his game that will translate well to the next level? So, you know, there was a whole controversy of him and the off-the-court scandal with the murder of a woman, which was, you know, you know, so unfortunate, and everybody at the school is just devastated how that went down. Brandon Miller was mentally tough. I mean, you, you could take one of two angles on how that went down because it's the elephant in the room, right? You can't ignore what happened with that entire thing. He was mentally tough and was able to block out all the negative noise, and there was a lot of negative noise around him for the last four months of his basketball career. He was able to mentally focus night in and night out, and I think that really – plays to a strength of his, of where if you're not going to have a good night, you're not going to have a good week or a good month, you can still figure out a way to get in the mental space and play good basketball. Moving on to our other top pick from T-Town, Bryce Young, of course, said to be the Panthers quarterback of the future. What made him such a can't-miss prospect in this year's draft? So Alabama has had, I've been saying this for years, the, the best player on the field since 2018. You can maybe say 2017 when Jalen Hurts started to get better. And you look at every quarterback they had. I really believe that Bryce Young is the best of all of those quarterbacks. I thought Mac Jones was actually better than Tua in some ways. And I think Bryce Young is better than Mac Jones in a lot of ways. And, And the main reason why I say that is that look at the skill positions that Mac Jones and Tua Tungavailoa had to work with. You can name every single receiver he had on that team in the NFL right now, and they are doing great. Can you name a guy for Alabama's roster? You're not an in-town guy, so you wouldn't know the answer. But here in Birmingham and Tuscaloosa, there's not a single player on that 2021-2022 Alabama roster who Bryce Young was throwing the ball to who's is doing well in the NFL or who is projected to be doing well in the NFL. It tells you everything about what this guy was able to create. I almost want to say by himself. Like Miller, you watch Young up close over the past few years. His height, a big issue coming into the draft. Do you think that's really going to be an issue at the pro level? No. Um, we need storylines, right? Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> right. what we do. We, we need things to talk about. And unfortunately for Bryce Young, I think I've stood next to him maybe two or three times in the last couple of years. I'm 5'10". He's probably my height, maybe 5'11". Generously six foot on the on the depth chart roster, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I don't think it matters. And you can make the easy cliche of, oh, let's call Drew Brees or, or Russell Wilson and say they didn't have a problem. Well, that, that's a start. That's a good start there because those guys don't have a problem. Bryce Young didn't have that problem in college. The best thing about this guy was he had the ability to understand somehow. It's kind of like Johnny Manziel, really, understanding where everybody was on the field when he's making plays in the backfield and figuring out how to get out of protections because, let's face it, his line had some issues in the last two years. This 2022 year especially had some issues. You look at the way he was able to evade things and know where everything was on the field, that's not going to change on the pro level. Chris, definitely appreciate your insight, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today on CSL. All right, tell Joey I say hello and I miss him dearly. (laughs) I got you.
Joey, our, one of our producers. Nick is producing tonight. He's doing a good job. Uh, your all-stars have a name, but who made it for the Braves? About to share the news that set a single season record. It's part of our QC crown that we're handing out next. Time for crowds. Mine's going out to Bernard Langer because, like a fine wine, he gets better with age. The 65 year old won the senior U.S. Open, setting two new records in the process 46 wins, breaking the tie with Hale Irwin for most in the championship tour. He's the oldest to ever win the event. All right, love that. Mine goes to the Braves getting a franchise record. Eight Braves who wow. will travel to Seattle for the All-Star Game. Matt Olson, Ozzie Albies, Austin Riley, pitcher Spencer Strider, and Bryce Elder. Those are the latest joining Ronald Cunha Jr., Sean Murphy, and Orlando Arcia. Mike, the entire infield was selected. It's, like it's the amazing. 27 Yankees right there. I love it. All right, that's going to do it for us tonight. We'll see you back here tomorrow night.